When I say Derek, you say Craven. Derek. Craven. Derek. Craven. When I say Sarah, you say Fielding. Sarah. Fielding. Sarah. Fielding. When I say Joyce, you say Ashby. Joyce. Ashby. Joyce. Ashby. When I say Perry, you say Kingswood. Perry. Kingswood. Perry. Kingswood. Hello, and welcome to Shelf Love, a podcast about romance novels and how they reflect, explore, challenge, and shape desire. I'm your host, Andrea Martucci, and on this episode, we will discuss Dreaming of You by Lisa Kleypas. But more specifically, we will discuss the most influential and misunderstood character from this much-discussed romance text, Lady Joyce Ashby. Here to discuss this important topic, I am joined by Dame Jody Slaughter, defender of bisexual villainesses. Jody, how did you develop your expertise in this area? I was belched from the underworld mm. and became something of a bisexual villainess myself. And so I feel like I know Lady Joyce Ashby like the back of my hand. I think we all know Lady Joyce Ashby like the back of our hand because we're all a little bit Lady Joyce Ashby. We are. Derek Craven is especially Lady Joyce <laughs> Even Derek Craven. <laughs> Especially yes. Derek Craven. Yes. And so the reason we're talking about Dreaming of You is because this is a book that is obviously discussed a lot. And I think it's also brought up a lot because it has quote unquote problematic elements. But I think there's an opportunity to dive into some of those problematic elements a little bit more. And we're also doing a project with Womance Podcast where we're both reading this and having our own discussions. And then we're gonna check in and see where our opinions converge. Yeah. What we what we all decided was like the most important thing to hone in on and talk about in an episode and see how those come together if they come together. Yeah. Yeah, and what I always find interesting about romance, because I've had the privilege of speaking with Morgan and Isabeau several times, and I've always enjoyed those conversations, and also I listen to their podcast, and I always find it fascinating what they focus on in books, because their approach in some ways is complementary to mine, and in some ways I'm like, I would never think about that. That's just not how I would come at the text, but it's always so interesting to hear what things people pick up on and what their thoughts are. I always find that fascinating. Yeah, I think that's especially the case for a book like Dreaming of You, where there's a lot. There's, there's a, a lot. There's a lot here. And so we definitely had to pare down and get to the nitty gritty and figure out what it was we were most interested in. What was like the most like prescient thing mm -hmm. for us? What did we keep coming back to every time we talked about this book and for some context we did we are like actively together we're physically together in bed and yeah we are literally in bed and we, we also last night had finished it and had a hours long yeah. tandem read session and we talked about it a lot and we just kept coming back to Joyce like the Joyce, Joyce. of it all Joyce Joyce and, yeah yeah, and, and we're going to get into a little bit more about Justice for Joyce. So before we start getting into our discussion, let's very quickly hit on what this book is actually about. We'll just give you enough to anchor this conversation. So Jody is going to read the back of the book. Yes. All right. She stood at dangerous threshold, then love beckoned her in, which I think is probably the tagline. In the shelter of her country cottage, Sarah Fielding puts pen to paper to create dreams. 
but curiosity has enticed the prim, well-bred gentlewoman out of her safe haven and into Derek Craven's dangerous world. A handsome, tough, and tenacious cockney, he rose from poverty to become Lord of London's most exclusive gaming house, a struggle that has left Derek Craven fabulously wealthy, but hardened and suspicious. And now, duty demands he allow Sarah Fielding into his world, with her impeccable manners and her infuriating innocence. But here, in a perilous shadow realm of ever-shifting fortunes, even a proper mouse can be transformed into a breathtaking enchantress, and a world-weary gambler can be shaken to his cynical core by the power of passion and the promise of love. Okay, so this is a historical romance novel. It is. It does not anchor it specifically, but through a few context clues, I believe Regency era. Which I appreciate as someone who famously, I have a difficult time with historical romance generally, especially of this time period. Yes, and I think what's interesting about this text is while there are gentry in this story, Sarah and Derek are not gentry. Mm -hmm. They interact with people of the gentry, but Sarah is like middle class-ish. Yeah. uh, Like country. Yeah, she comes from like a village that's, yeah, very just like... Not servant class. Not serving class, but they're definitely not... Part of society. Yeah, part of society at all. They're the people who like get the the rumors, the gossip of, of the society people from up on the hill, but right. they're not necessarily like down in the trenches. Yes. Not like Derek Craven, who was born in the gutter. In the literal gutter. In the literal gutter, he was abandoned by his mother, who was a sex worker. He was. Raised by other sex workers. Yes. And had a very rough childhood, but has somehow risen to become the owner of this very fabulous gaming hell and he's apparently the richest man in england yeah at this point. yeah is he the richest man in the world that's what it sounds like yeah <laughs> but then again you have to just take that within the realm of this historical romance universe where yes. the heroes have to be this absolutely extreme version of the best at everything absolutely so what's very interesting about this description is there is zero mention of lady joyce ashby no but this story would literally not happen Without Lady Joyce Ashby. Yeah, Lady Joyce Ashby has her hand in Sarah and Derek's romance from the very first page. A much discussed scene from this book is the first main scene where Sarah is hanging out outside of the gaming hell area district of England. Yeah, she's just skulking around alleys. Taking notes because she's a novelist and Mm -hmm. she's doing research for her next novel about this world. Yeah. And Derek passes by and is like, she's going to get raped soon, but I don't care. I'm just going to keep passing by. And then Derek gets attacked. Sarah notices, pulls a gun from her reticule, and shoots one of his attackers dead. She kills a man. She (laughs) does kill a man. And it doesn't ever really, she's never, she never has to like think about live Mm -hmm. with or is at all troubled by. No. She does say, just before she shoots him, she's like, I could never kill a man. I don't think I could live with myself. And so she aims to the right, but then actually legit kills him. But yeah, anyways, it is a very interesting beginning scene. She saves him, but the reason he was attacked was because he had recently ended his affair with Lady Joyce Ashby, who in this novel is portrayed as an absolutely insane, yes, like, Fatal attraction. Yes. Type. Evil other woman. Like a true 
awful villainess with zero endearing qualities. There's no interest in humanizing her. Even the things that we learn about Joyce Mm -hmm. that I feel like in ways humanized her to Andrea and I, you can tell that within the narrative are not supposed to humanize her to anyone else and Mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. So Derek and Sarah would not have met if Sarah did not need to rescue him from this situation where his face was slashed because she doesn't really want to kill him. She just wants to like make him unattractive to other women and hurt him in some way. There is a long introspective moment by Derek when he realizes Joyce was behind this in the first or second chapter. Joyce is ever present through this novel. Mm -hmm. People spend a lot of time talking about her, thinking about her. She's on the page quite a bit. She's in scenes quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And she drives a lot of the action in this book. Now, this is your first Lisa Clavis, right? It is. When I suggested we read this, I was like, look, I know there's a lot of really interesting things to talk about Mm -hmm. in here. I also hope you will actually enjoy the reading process because I think the craft is really well done. But I was also a little bit worried because sometimes I'm like, oh, I think this is interesting and fun. And you haven't always agreed on that. Yeah. Oh, this one, 100%. I felt like Lisa Clavis writes a tight story. She keeps it going. Her characterization is very interesting. I think that the romantic payoff is big. Like, it's very satisfying. It's Mm -hmm. a satisfying romance from a craft perspective and even from from just a reading for enjoyment perspective. Yeah. And she swings hard for the fences here. Yeah. And she hits home runs. Yeah, 100%. And I think that there's a reason that, A, Lisa Kleypas has had such a long, enduring career and has been very popular and best-selling even from early on in her career, mm-hmm. which was her career started in, I believe, the mid to late 80s. And this book is about 10 years into her career. And she's still publishing today. Yeah, I asked you that question and you told me that she was. And I was like, it makes sense. Yeah. And, she, and it's interesting because she's actually like building on top of this world that she first started writing about like 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a reason Lisa Kleypas is a popular author. And I think there's a reason this book is talked about a lot, not only because it is a transporting read, but there's so much to talk about. It, it is just one of those books it's where... It's a rich text. It's a rich text. Yeah. 100%. But I think that what I've noticed is that if you bring this book up, There are some people who are kind of like, I love this book. Don't talk to me at all about the problems or they want to excuse away the the things. And then there are some people who only want to talk about the problematics. And I feel like what makes this book interesting is the problematics. I agree 100%. I, I think with this one, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Like the sort of like romantic payoff is very much bolstered by... As I'm going to keep saying, because this is going to be my tagline, the Joyce Ashby of it all, mm. it's very much bolstered by Kleypas's views around sex and sexuality and mm-hmm. the way that all of that is gendered. She's you know processing I mean? a lot of cultural baggage and a personal ton. baggage here. And there are, I, I think earlier when we were discussing, I described it as Kleypas wanting to have her cake and eat it too. And I don't know that's necessarily accurate. There are a lot of things here that are, wouldn't necessarily say progressive, but you understand what I mm-hmm. mean when I use that word. And then obviously there are a lot of things here that are very blatantly regressive 
And I think she's like attempting to, I don't know, come to try to... She's trying to crack this nut wide open. Yeah, she's trying to crack the nut open. And I don't necessarily think that she does, but I think that like her exploration of it is fascinating. And I think that as consumers of the text, that it gave us an opportunity to have discussions about these things. But I don't think you can crack this nut wide open. That's what I was going to say. I don't, I think this is like one of those nuts that's, it's the patriarchy. So it is uncrackable. Yeah. In its entirety. Lisa Clavis was going to like completely solve, you know what I mean? Yeah, she was going to solve it all in this text Um, about the world in 1813 (laughs) or whatever. If you are familiar with Jane Eyre and the Wide Sargasso Sea, Jane Eyre was written by Charlotte Bronte, right? It was. And it's this love story of the governess and the rich lord of the manor. And it's a gothic. And the big secret is that Rochester is hiding his quote unquote crazy wife in the attic where she literally in text is mentally ill in some way, undefined. But also that there's like some hereditary mental illness in her family as well. But the story leads you to believe that he is justified for treating her in this way. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the story, Bertha, the wife, has jumped from a building and died and lit fire to the estate. And they're washed clean and they're finally able to start anew and have a real relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, in 1966, there was a novel called Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Reese. And it was a post-colonial and feminist prequel to Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre, describing the background to Mr. Rochester's marriage from the point of view of his wife, Antoinette Cosway, a Creole heiress. I think that what we are humbly trying to accomplish today is a wide Sargasso Sea-type exploration of Joyce in Dreaming of You. And the only reason we can do that I think is because Clapus gave us enough clues to understand what is actually going on from Joyce's perspective. And as you mentioned earlier, I don't think Clapus necessarily wants us to, or gives us anything in the text to make us feel sympathetic towards her. Yeah. Because while there are lots of parallels between Derek Craven and Joyce Ashby, Derek Craven is redeemable and Joyce is not. Mm -hmm. And there's a hundred percent a gendered aspect to that. Yeah. But I think that there are definitely enough breadcrumbs where you can piece together why Joyce is the way she is and what she's dealing with and why, and ask the question, why isn't she redeemable the way Derek is? 100%. I also think that Clapus, I wouldn't say cares about Joyce. That's not what I would say. Correct. I do think Clapus put a lot of thought into Joyce in really specific ways that aren't like great, but I do think she did. I think there was the opportunity here for us to get nothing of Joyce. She could have basically been mostly off page, just evil, bad. Yes. And we could have just not found out anything really about her trauma or motivation. Exactly. I'm like, there must have been reasons for that. Yeah. So I think that like in many ways, Joyce is the foil for the good, innocent heroine. Yes. And that archetype of the evil other woman is definitely an archetype in historical romance and many other romance genres and many other genres outside of romance. In fact, I've been talking about Somebody's Trying to Kill Me and I Think It's My Husband, which was an essay by Joanna Russ published in 1973 about the modern Gothic. 
So it's not quite about romance, but it's basically about romance. I've been unpacking that in a Substack series. So if you want more information about that, mm-hmm. go read on shelfofpodcast.substack.com. Subscribe, like, and review. She talks in there about how the good woman is always in contrast with the evil other woman. And it's like asexual versus extremely sexual, childlike versus jaded and experienced. Yes. And, and, you know, yeah. and that's one of the things that I'm like, Damn, Cleopas, she is trying to explore because Sarah isn't asexual. Sarah isn't childlike. Mm-hmm. Like, she is obviously being positioned as good woman, yeah. which means a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, we see multiple times. She, like, multiple times, we know that she, like, throws herself at her betrothed or pre-betrothed, whatever, in search of passion. Mm-hmm. She does the same with Derek. Like, she yeah. is not, especially when she finally does have sex, she's like, oh, I know of nothing mm-hmm. to Derek, is what Which she is says. incredibly thrilling to Derek. Scary, but also he's like, oh my god, I have to make this good for her. Yeah. And I can't I, scare her. Yes. And she says specifically, she says, I know too little and you knew too much. Yes. And I think that what Clapis is exploring is definitely where Sarah doesn't want to live and exist in this binary where to be a good woman, she has to fit into this very specific role. Where she's got to be a little mouse. She has to be a little mouse, right? That's the only role she's allowed to inhabit. And she, at various points, is basically like, I want to be someone else. I want to try this just for one night. I want to be a different person. Yeah. And it's very much, I think, about the integration of, like, how do we take these binary ideas around good woman, bad woman, and break them down? Mm -hmm. And that's what Clapis is playing with, 100%, even with men. Like, yeah. Derek has a foil, Perry Kingswood, who is Sarah's almost betrothed. They've been, like, courting for four years. Four years. And Perry is the, like, anti-masculine man, right? Like, he is effeminate in how he's characterized. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to stand in contrast to Derek. Overmothered, being too mothered versus no mothering at all. But then it's also, like, Derek's arc is that he needs to also move towards that middle. He's like overly masculine. Yes. So like Derek's journey is to integrate A, seeing women as either nurturers, mothers and wives, or sexual beings, sexual objects. Yeah. And so he needs to change how he views women. And then he also needs to switch from this sort of like emotionless, masculine, sexual man to become the kind of man who can have some emotions and still be masculine, can be a father who cares about his child and also a wealthy masculine man. Yeah. But Joyce in the book does not have the opportunity to be more than how she's presented. So let's talk about what we know about Joyce. The first introduction we have to Joyce is when Derek is thinking about, first of all, why his face got slashed. Yeah. But then he's thinking back to why he even began his affair with her. Jody, would you like to read this quote? Sure. Mild though the feeling was, it had been enough to make him pursue her. He couldn't deny there had been many entertaining nights filled with sophisticated games and sensual depravity, and it took a hell of a lot to make him feel depraved. Derek finally had ended the liaison, disgusted with himself as well as her. The memory rolled over him, and he relived it in a drugged stupor. Yeah, this was one of the things when we were together, we were both just like sophisticated games, I, sensual depression. Yeah, we were like, we were like there tell are us multiple more. instances <laughs> where 
Joyce's like sexual prowess is described as being these like these perversions, these tricks. And I'm like, what is it? What is she doing? Is she doing? What do you think she was doing? I told you I've got my theory that she like wanted to put a thumb in Derek's ass. Maybe. Or something. And then obviously there's a part that we'll get to. I I don't know. I'm going to joke around and call Joyce bisexual villainess. But there's no like, and she was queer and you know what I mean? I think the queerness was only brought in as a shorthand for depravity. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, Yeah, it couldn't ever be brought in any other way. But I'm like, what else could it possibly be? I I think that there's like a kink element. I'm sure. She is interested in, she just seemed to be interested in like pain. Yeah, and power play. Uh, Yeah, oh, power dynamics are very big to her. She wants power, but... It seems like during sex, there's something in there to being rendered powerless by the power of Derek. Which she still ultimately controls. Yes. Oh, yeah. She always, like, ultimately wants to be Mm -hmm. in control. uh, She's just a bratty sub. The central depravity, in many ways, to me, feels like non-procreative sex. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Where because she enjoys the sex and she's interested in acts that don't read as, like, vanilla straight heterosexual type sex and i mean that not just in the genders of the people in the relationship but just like this heteronormative idea of what sexual relationships between men and women should be there is mention that she has had abortions and that she ended pregnancies because she didn't need to have children to fulfill her duties as a wife because her elderly husband already had children from his previous marriage so she didn't need to create an heir and I think that kind of underscores this kind of like she's not having sex to become a mother which as we've discussed previously in relationship to Jodie McAllister's book about the consummate virgin Mm -hmm. that that is deviant woman femininity yeah yeah the acceptable the only acceptable way a woman should enjoy sex is in the marital bed whether they're engaging in like i'm gonna breed you but it's they both know that this could result in a child but that's Mm -hmm. also when you think about the sex workers here and how there's a certain like infantilization of them Mm -hmm. where they're not portrayed as being as awful and evil as joyce because of course, they don't enjoy the sex they're having. Explicitly. Explicitly. They say that they're all the men that pay for sex are basically just like... Rutting beasts. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah. terrible. Yeah, and Joyce does enjoy it. Yes, there's a contrast with survival sex workers yeah. who have no choice but to do this. Which are the only type of sex workers in this. There is some mention of like courtesans so let's talk about sex workers for a second because i think actually this book is rife with sex work and sometimes it's called sex work and sometimes it's not and of course because this was written in 1994 sex workers are often known by other terms yes in the book specifically the word prostitute is used many times whores usually were used by characters who are being derogatory derek's club has sex workers who work on site he is not their pimp very importantly yeah he very much is like i don't take any money from them yes which i think is a very interesting distinction in here and then the fact that his club has sex workers on site is ameliorated at the end or that the conflict is resolved at the end because sarah has 
ideas about the sex workers where she understands that these women often are in dire straits and are, have no other choice here. But the issue is dissolved when his club burns down at the end and he decides not to rebuild. So now we don't have to deal with the fact that, that they all just went somewhere else. They all, where did they go? We yeah. don't know. We don't know. Yeah. So there's the sex workers who Sarah develops relationships with who work at Derek's club. You were alluding to this before around the areas that feel a little progressive is that Sarah is fairly open-minded. Yes, she is. So Sarah, as an author, her most famous work is a book called Matilda, which follows the life and times of a, I guess, a sex worker in London in Matilda. And Matilda possibly meets a very devastating end, possibly not, that's a little open or whatever. But, but people are obsessed with this book. And Sarah finds an in with the sex workers at Craven's because they're all like, oh, we love Matilda. They're like, do you know Matilda? Can you introduce us to yeah. her? Yeah. They think she's real. And yeah. so we know that Sarah has spent time around working girls before. And so she views their lot in life with, there's a little bit of paternalism. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some like sympathy, but she does grow a bit. Her growth, it's very internal because Sarah's never walking around like, yeah, she, you're disgusting. Like we're not getting from that type of starting point. She's always curious and empathetic towards them. Yes. And I think she starts by just basically viewing them purely as victims. Yes. And I think maybe she evolves to understand that in some cases it's just like any other type of work. Yes. Uh, and that's somewhere towards the middle. She and Derek are having like a, a very passionate conversation where Derek is basically like, I come from nothing. I'm nothing. I'm not good enough for you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, if I had been born in a rookery, I would be a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm using the word because that's what she, she says. But. Okay. So I actually have the quote. Derek is, again, he's self-flagellating. Yeah. She goes, I do understand. You have the will to survive, Mr. Craven. How could I blame you for that? I don't like the things you've done, but I'm not a hypocrite. If I'd been born in the rickery, I probably would have become a prostitute. I know enough to understand that there were few choices for you in that place. In fact, I I admire you for lifting yourself out of such depths. Few men would have had the will and the strength to do it. And so interestingly, Derek was also a sex worker. Derek was a sex worker. He started off as like a chimney, like doing odd jobs and stuff. And then he started making actual money by largely sleeping with his clientele was like upper crust blue blooded women Mm -hmm. wives who would pay him well for his services and then he would blackmail them Mm -hmm. and their husbands he's like i cuckolded you yeah now pay me so i don't tell anybody yeah and also he's like and sometimes they got off on that and they still wanted to have sex with me yeah so there's also then the people who paid him for sex, they're cast with a bit of this like depravity as well. Yes. This is weird and gross that they're into this, but I can profit from it. That is the attitude around it. Derek, of course, has a lot of complicated feelings about this and feels like he is like soiled as mm-hmm. a person because of all of these things that he's done. And but Sarah's like, I forgive you. Like, I understand that was like, what choices did you have? Like, I can understand how that happened. I think that there's also a discussion in this book around the things that like people who become wives and mothers, that is a type of 
maybe not sex work, but is a sur survival mechanism for women where women do not have economic choices in this world to really have a job. Yeah. So you've got to secure your place by other means. Right. And securing your place means being married to and then having the child of a wealthy man so that he has no choice then but to make sure you're, I guess, taken care of. Sort, Which, but sort I mean, of. he can totally I mean, he can... cast you out. Yeah. And I mean, but to be fair, even at the end, Joyce's husband, who does cast her out, is still, she'll live in luxury. Yeah. And... And, and I think that's what's interesting about this is, first of all, isn't marriage and having children with a man basically a type of sex work? You're selling your body. It's a longer term commitment yeah. than a few minutes or an hour as like a transactional sex worker. Uh -huh. But it is a way that one can survive. Yeah. It's not limited to just poor women. What is explored a lot throughout this book is how upper class women basically are in the same... In fact, they, they only have the choice to yeah. marry and produce an heir. Yeah. But then they can have these other sexual relationships, which is discussed. And Joyce is one such person who was put in this situation... So what we eventually learn around Joyce's backstory, in one of the interactions with Derek, Joyce is, as she often is in these scenes, just like monologuing and yeah. going on like a bit of an unhinged tirade. Yeah. And she goes, I can't let you leave me, Joyce said steadily. I won't. I've been manipulated and abandoned by every man I've ever depended on. The first time was my father. I don't care, Derek interrupted, but she continued insistently, ignoring the pain of his grip in her hair. I want you to understand. I was forced to marry at the age of 15. The bridegroom was as old as my grandfather. I despised Lord Ashby at first sight, the lecherous old goat. Can you imagine what it was like climbing into bed with that? Okay, so Joyce was raped at 15. Yeah, a child bride. By an old man. Yeah. Sold off, like abandoned, betrayed yep. by her father. Mm-hmm. Left from whatever protection she might have had in her childhood home. Mm -hmm. Protection, quote unquote. And thrown into... Thrown into the bed with this old yeah. man who had children who were, what, probably older than yeah. her? Like, so she was completely vulnerable, unprotected. Yeah. Uh, unfulfilled. Unfulfilled sexually. And also there is an element here that I'm just thinking about where it's like... Her being released from the burden of having to bear heirs for her husband, not is that actually a part of what would, but is that a part of what Clapus is trying to convey has driven her crazy? Like she has no purpose as a oh, woman. She, I think that the way Clapus writes her, she didn't want children. Okay. okay. It, it wasn't just that she didn't it's, need it's, to have an heir and he didn't want her to. That she didn't want children. Like, she's also a quote unquote bad woman because yes. she could have had children. She could have been fulfilled in that way, but she didn't want she to. Didn't she want was them. hedonistic and only seeking her own pleasure. Yes. Which like people who are child free by choice often are portrayed as selfish in our society. Yeah. Because the idea is, particularly if you're, you know, partnered in a long-term relationship, the idea is that people, especially cis-het women, should... Have a responsibility. Yeah, like, what is wrong with you if you don't want children? Yeah. You must be missing your nurturing gene or yeah. whatever. And I don't... That's not a real thing. That's the idea that people have. And so it is one more way to villainize Joyce yeah. in this story. Like, she doesn't even want children. What's wrong with her, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. She only is selfishly seeking her own pleasure. Mm -hmm. But, like, Joyce's 
backstory is extremely traumatic and it's like it's it's not hilarious but the the first time was my like she is ready to enter a therapy session and Derek is literally violently gripping her hair and is is like shut up Derek is very physically violent with Joyce. Ext- but she's not a good woman, so he doesn't have to be yeah, gentle Yeah, so with he's her. allowed to yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Derek, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, shit. But, but, okay, but then, but then could you imagine if Derek's like, I was born in the gutter. Yeah. I was just- Okay, hold on. I'll be Derek. You be Sarah. I was born in the gutter. Shut up. Shut up. I- Fuck your drain pipe. I had to climb chimneys. They should have lit that fire under you. Could you imagine? Derek cries. Just cry. He cries tears of gin. <laughs> it's mother's milk. It's mother's it's milk. milk. Could you imagine? Oh, Sarah would be. Everyone would be. She's a piece of shit. She didn't care about him. But every, it was trauma. Everybody has to listen to Derek's trauma yes. over and over Constant. again. Everyone is always like his factotum. Everyone is always Mr. Craven. Was he was born in the gutter? Like it's, he gets so much grace for the way he behaves as a result of his trauma. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's allowed to be cruel, mean, surly, violent, mm-hmm. hedonistic in his own right. Yeah, but he's processing trauma, so why shouldn't he? Yeah. But Joyce, child no. bride, no. Yeah, literally in this two short paragraph monologue, whatever, with the exception of Derek interrupting to yeah. say I don't care, she is expressing feelings of abandonment and the desire for control i can't let you leave me derek leaving her is another abandonment mm-hmm. and the way she is attempting to assert any control over her life yeah is by saying you can't leave me i dictate how this relationship works yes and i think that after understanding this there's a way to understand the sexual tricks and depravities as another way to control the men in her life yeah because she can't choose to not have sex with men she's basically forced into doing that yeah she can't understand a relationship with a man that is not based on sex and she understands that she can maintain the upper hand if she's surprising and more adventurous than other women that they've encountered and interested in sex and it's kind of like oh joyce is getting off on all this i'm like is Joyce getting off? Is she finding pleasure in the sex or is she finding pleasure in having any control and, and power? That, yeah, that's exactly... I'm like, I don't think it's like the sex itself mm-hmm. at all. I think it's like a power game. She's... And a lot of sex is power anyways. Been, but, yeah, yeah, of course. She's been manipulated and abandoned and abused by every man she's ever come across. Mm-hmm. Every man she's ever had an affair with. Mm-hmm. Has probably approached her with the say, oh, you're, you're tigress, you're, yeah. you know what I mean? And, uh, like a young, and everyone is always like, well, she's so beautiful, which is another element of this. Like, far be it to, for me to be like, your life is so hard when you're a beautiful woman. But there is something to that everyone is her, like. That made her more desirable it as a child her, bride. Yeah, 100%. And, and also she's like blonde mm. and like. She'd She's, probably be, like, angelic if it weren't for the hard flint in her eyes. The hard, yeah, jaded, yeah. flinty look in her eyes. Joyce was probably, like, deeply, Joyce was probably, as if she was real, but deeply, she is real as every woman here, deeply, like, sexualized as a young age. Because every woman here is trying to find some type of empowerment and control in mm-hmm. a life that they mm-hmm. know ultimately whatever man is in their life is going to have the final say 
Yeah. And whatever happens to them. Absolutely. Women, especially in this time, have very few options. And Sarah is not like other girls because rather than choosing to go the route of marrying to be supported. Yeah, she says she'll be a spinster. She'll be a spinster, but she's a novelist. So she's, yeah. she is earning money in a way outside of how women are supposed to earn their keep in yes, these days. Yes, yes. And, she, and she's using her brain she and is. her intellect to yes. survive. And so she is escaping that dichotomy. The that, trap. Th- the trap of, okay, you can either be a mother or you can be a sex worker explicitly. Yeah. And... This is, of course, like part of why things don't work out with Perry because he explicitly wants her to give up her career and just move into that role of being a wife and mother Mm -hmm. and basically being his mother as well. But then when it comes to Derek and Joyce and the similarities between them, there's a lot of similarities. We actually made a list. And one, one of them is the animalism of them, right? Derek is compared to an animal several times in this text. Other people observe there's something positively animal about him. Mm-hmm. He's a brute, wickedly unprincipled, etc. They're dreamily thinking about his scar, his black hair. Like, he's so beautiful. Now, let's go to a scene where, spoiler alert, Joyce arranges for one of her admirers to rape Sarah. Yeah. Because if Derek admires Sarah's innocence, then she has to take that. away and by the way she thinks she's going to get away with this and that everybody's going to get away with this is because joyce is well aware that people don't believe women and people don't care about this she says she won't tell him talking about Derek. she won't tell anyone she'll be too ashamed i wonder why joyce thinks that people will not care or does she know explicitly that does she have from experience i wonder and then The guy admires her. The guy who has just agreed to rape another woman so that he can have sex with Joyce goes, what an extraordinary creature you are. A tigress. Yeah. Also, I do want to point out, this is the second time in I think what is ultimately a matter of six months, six months to a year, that Sarah hasn't attempted. She is assaulted, Mm -hmm. but like... The gang of guys mm-hmm. who, like, surrounded her or whatever when Derek saved her and spirited away were also mm-hmm. going to rape her, no? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of threat of rape against Sarah because innocence is the only thing of value that a woman has. Yes. That is her currency. Yeah. And the thing that men in this world, that's the only thing they can think to get of from a woman. Yeah. Unless they become self-actualized men. And there's a few examples. They're all, like, former heroes from other Lisa Kleypas books yeah who have integrated that like woman as both like partner emotions Alex mother wife like and sex right yes but every other man in this entire story just sees women essentially as like sexual objects and every opportunity they have if they think they can get away with rape they will oh 100 and if they view someone as a woman who is not a quote-unquote good woman. Oh, they find you on the street at night, they assume you're a sex worker. Yes. And that you cannot be raped because you're a sex worker. Oh, yeah, 100%. You're unrapeable. Mm-hmm. But there's also, if they view you as a woman who does have the... In- like They want it, right? It. They want to be the ones to despoil it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here's a list that we made about things that could apply to both Joyce and Derek. Would you like to... Yeah, so violent... They're both very violent. Mm-hmm. Especially we, with each other. <laughs> with each, especially with each other. There's explicitly in the text talked of both of them being violent. Not even in, in present day, but like in the past. 
they're violent with other people. They're very violent with each other. They're both violent with Sarah, even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Possessive. Derek is very possessive of Sarah. Joyce is very possessive of Derek. They're both sexual. We know that the in the text, we're supposed to find Joyce to be more deviant than Derek is, but I call full bullshit. Like... We yeah. know off the bat that Derek enjoyed the depravities until he didn't enjoy them anymore. Until he was sickened by them. Yeah, which is too many fine. Streets, where it's like you're enjoying something, but too much of a good thing. Right. You know what I mean? But it was still a good thing to him yeah. for some time. Animalistic, which we've just talked about. They're both very heavily desired. Every woman wants Derek. And every man, even if he is following it up with, she's evil or calling her a bitch or whatever mm-hmm. want acknowledges that Joyce is incredibly beautiful and mm-hmm. desirable. Mm-hmm. They're both jaded. They, they tap that. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. They don't want to have a conversation with her, but no, but they fuck. Yeah. And they don't want to have a conversation with Derek, but they'd fuck. But they'd fu- yeah, yeah. They'd fuck. They're both jaded. They're traumatized, horrible childhood, whether born in the drain pipe. Or born to privilege, but traded away. But traded, like sold. Yep. And they're both emotionless. But only Derek is the one that we get to see transformed by love, by the love of a good woman. Mm -hmm. But he's given a chance by Sarah. Sarah gives him the the BOTD. Mm-hmm. And allows him to open up, and nobody gives that to Joyce. No, not even a nobody. Sl- nobody. nobody. Like Mitski said, nobody. Yeah, yeah. I think that is the wide sargasso sea of it all. Yeah, where it's like, hold on a second. Yeah, let's just think about this from Joyce's perspective for a moment. Why does Joyce not get the chance? It's interesting. Later in her career, Lisa Kleypas writes Sebastian St. Vincent, who famously, at the end of It Happened One Autumn, threatens to rape the heroine. And then in the very next book, Devil in Winter, redeems Sebastian St. Vincent and gives his perspective. We understand much more about what is going on with him. We understand, oh, he wasn't really going to rape her. He wouldn't have really followed through on it blah 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 and completely redeems his character if you want more on this conversation i covered this with amanda deal in literally episode one of shelf love Podcast. yes it's been 140 episodes since i've talked about clavis in detail a it's a long time but so here's the thing is i think that there very much is this understanding of there's two sides to every story yeah and even Derek craven was first a character in the gambler series the first book before dreaming of you was it then came you is it then came you? The characters from that book are covered in this one. Yeah, Lily and Alex. Yeah, I think it is then came you. But in that book, Derek is like much less refined than he is in this book. Yeah. And, and my understanding is that Lisa Claypas had no intention of writing a book about him. And people were so intrigued by him as a character that she was like, okay, I guess I'll turn this into a book. And it's very interesting how between the first introduction of him in one book where he wasn't intentionally built as a romance hero. Yeah. Like, he becomes much more refined. He has certain types of character growth and then not other types yeah. that have to happen in this book. But it's always the men who get a chance to be redeemed. That's what I was going to say. Part of me wants to write to Kleypas and entreat her to give me what I really want. Mm-hmm. But it's not even a question necessarily of 
is Clepus in this fictional scenario where I'm having a conversation with this woman. Lisa, where call she's, us. Yeah. <laughs> hey, babe. <laughs> Hit my line. Where she's, where she'd be willing to write this story. I have very serious doubts that readers, readers <laughs> would not view Joyce as ruined as everyone in this book views her. Oh, yeah. I have no faith that readers would not be like, she's ruined. She's a ruined woman. She's had too much sex Mm -hmm. to be a heroine. She's done too many bad things. And we read about these men who like do the most heinous shit. They've they've had disposable sexual relationships with like hundreds of women. Hundreds. They've been cruel. They've been kind of emotionally manipulative. 22 or something. She may be a little bit older than that, but she's still in her 20s. Right. For sure. Yeah. She's like your age, Jody. Don't we have six lovers? Like, well, but like, but <laughs> that, that doesn't was, matter. But like literally, even if she had a hundred. It doesn't. Yeah. Like, we have certainly read historical romances in particular, or I mean, look, even contemporary romances where the male main character. Are just going through them. Yeah. I just read one where the guy basically had a rule where he never has sex with the same woman twice. He never sees the same woman twice. Like, sure. I've read so many books like that. 100%. I mean, and yes, I've read books where that is not the case. And increasingly, we will find books where men are given full emotional depth and range and are not treating women as disposable and are not misogynists like Derek Craven because Derek Craven is 100% a misogynist. He hates women. He's a misogynist and he hates women. And you know what? I don't think that changes when he marries Sarah. Sarah is the exception because she's not like other girls. Oh, 100%. Sarah is not like other girls in LOG. So he's not even a redeemed misogynist. No, he's just a misogynist who got married. And likes his wife. And likes his daughter. Yeah. Because his daughter- Which is still a surprise to his wife. Yep. That he likes his daughter. Yeah. Because he's, because of these stereotypical understandings of masculinity. And fatherhood. Where really what type of emotions you're allowed to, like he's allowed to have lust. He's allowed to brood. He's allowed to have anger and he's allowed to have a certain level of passion. His I love you was strangled out of him. Oh, it was only after he thought she died. Yeah. And he was like, oh, after I thought you died, all of a sudden I was like, why didn't I tell you I loved you? (laughs) It's like, Jesus. Fucking. Yeah, I I don't come away from this. Like, I, I do genuinely think that the romantic payoff was, like, very satisfying. And I enjoyed this read. I have not come away from this as a Derek Craven fangirl. Not even just uh, yeah. because he's so problematic, just because I'm like, he, he ain't that sweet worthy. No, I think that what is interesting about this book is, yes, there are, like, quote-unquote romantic elements. But, like, when I think about the romance between Sarah and Derek... There are these moments that really just do a great job of tugging on the heartstrings. Yeah. yeah. But if I actually take a moment to think about their relationship, I'm like, what is this relationship built on? He basically just recognizes her as not like other girls, becomes obsessed with her, but in a very sexual way. Yeah. And then eventually opens up to her emotionally to say, I love you, but like, they don't. And I think Clapis evolved on this as her career progressed, where she created relationships between her main characters that were a bit more fleshed out in terms of what they have in common and what they talk about and yeah you know that but this book relies on these moments and grovels that get they get boiled down to oh he puts her glasses in his pocket and like it's an incredibly affecting moment and it says a lot about like 
how special she is to him, but it doesn't actually tell us anything about their relationship. Yeah. I don't necessarily know why she's Because he's, he's fascinated and obsessed with her. Yeah. But, like, why? I don't know. And especially because it's not like she's the... Like, he does mention he's, oh, I've met spinsters and whatever. Yeah, before. and he had no interest in them. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about... I. Because I she's don't know. because she's not she's just the one and that's she's just the one I think and that's, that's it. the that's just what we have to take from it she's yeah. just the one yeah but I think that if you but... took all of the stuff with Joyce out I think this book would be much less interesting not, well not just because Joyce drives the action after they get married there are a few chapters where it really it fell apart for me hard. He's, the the he's, domesticity, I was so uninterested because I was like, they're not like sitting a bed, having interesting, thought-provoking, whatever conversations. They're like, she'll want to bring up something about the future, about the practicalities of, well, should we live here? Or blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, I'm trying to fuck! Yeah, yeah. And then they fuck. She's like, why do you always try to have sex with me when I try to talk about yeah, things. Yeah, and then he goes, goes, why do you always try to talk about things when yeah. I try to have sex with you? <laughs> <laughs> and then they have sex. Yeah, and then they have sex. And then he buys her jewels and whatever. Yeah. And one of his comments is, wow, my friends who are married really undersold how convenient this is. Yes. He's and like, oh, to just have a wife next to you all the time. She's just always here for sex. She's so, just so wild. She's always here to have me talk about my day too. Yeah. And it, it fell apart for me until Joyce came back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Joyce came back and I was like, all right, I'm ready to go again. So Joyce comes back and Joyce comes back. <laughs> she comes back and she kidnaps Sarah yes. at gunpoint, burns Cravens down. Burns it. Which I'm like, you, th- Sarah should be not. All right, I'm just gonna lean fully <laughs> Full into it. Me. Sarah should be fucking thankful that Cravens burned. Yes, down. they should both be thankful because now they don't have to actually have the that they totally couldn't have the hard conversation of what are gonna we're we, we're not gonna live above this gambling house with our children. They did. They did. They, they did. And they, and, yeah. they weren't ever gonna. I, I don't want to reference one of my own books just do it okay so in all things burn <laughs> i wrote a book all things burn it's a woman who falls in love with a hitman but it's less about his evolution from killer to redeemable non-killer and more about like justice and her at first i called it like a de-evolution from like whatever to somebody who understands that justice does need to often be sought mm-hmm. how it needs to be sought or whatever so she becomes the killer he doesn't not he, like he, he guides her kill- yeah he guides kind her of like how you're somebody with tattoos guiding me somebody without tattoos exactly. into the world. he's a killer he remains a killer yes and just guides her like in. straight up at the end like the epilogue is like he comes home from killing somebody he's like She's hey like, honey yeah basically <laughs> and so i i hoped that Derek craven could stay Derek Craven. No, he had to be neutered. He had to be <laughs> neutered. And but, but in a way where he he becomes a benefactor and he's still incredibly wealthy and whatever. But I was like, I don't want that Derek Craven though. Do you know what I mean? You wanted Derek Craven who continued to be like the king of gaming health. And they don't have but, to live there in order for him you, to have that. I think that the reason that it's super convenient that Joyce burns it down because that's what I'm saying. It's very convenient. But also Derek can't continue to do that because I think that we imagine that like it would have to end at some point. And as romance readers who are seeking this like 
riding off into the sunset thing. Yeah. We don't ever want to watch anything decay. We don't want to ever understand that, like, this was the high point. I think that, like, burning the gaming hell down allows him to go off on the highest note possible and maintain that notoriety without ever having to deal with the fact that, like, times would change. And this was, like, the halcyon days of yore. Yeah. And so now he can ride off into the sunset as a benefactor. As boring. As just boring now. Okay, so anyway, so Joyce comes back. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't. I don't have like deep thoughts on that. Joyce comes back, kidnaps Sarah, and is not like I'm gonna kill you. She's like I'm gonna take you up to this like tower, this like remote castle, that and I I'm have. gonna keep you locked in there forever. And I'll come back and visit you and tell you about how good your husband fucks me. Yeah, because he's gonna give up. He's gonna stop missing you after like a day, and yeah. he'll come back to you. <laughs> yeah. Which. Again, feels very much... If she literally just wanted Sarah out of the way, she would have killed her. That's she what, wanted the She wants to torture power. her. Yeah, she wants the power. She wants Sarah to know. She wants to gloat. She wants to gloat. And then there is a line where she goes, <clears throat> Perhaps I'll even show you ways to pleasure me, and you'll show me exactly what your husband finds so compelling about you. You're disgusting, Sarah said in outrage. You might say that now, but after a few days, you'll do whatever I want in return for food or water. And I'm pretty sure after that, Sarah's, like, stomach, like, rolls. <laughs> like, she's disgusted by the idea that the bisexuality of it all. Yeah. She's just like, like, eat pussy. <laughs> Sarah barely knows what that is, even. And yeah. I'm sure she could not imagine that two women could do it not together. Not at all. Yeah, because well, she's she such an nothing innocent. writing Matilda. <laughs> nothing. But she was just writing down phrases. Oh, what's super interesting about that is, we, like we talked about earlier, it feels thrown in there as yeah. like a, oh, so depraved. I was so surprised when I read it because my first instinct was not, oh, this was all right. My first instinct was like, wait, bitch. <laughs> like, oh, can we have that? <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, but maybe you should show her Like, maybe they should maybe hook up and see what happens. I don't know. They could be a throuple. I feel like, by the way, the depraved games, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, multiple partners and boyers that, yeah. and, or, like, whatever. Her, like, bringing other people in, like, group sex. Yeah. Yeah. Tame shit, to be honest. But, again, it's all very performative. Yes. Like, do you think, for example, I'll show you ways to pleasure me, and you'll show me exactly what your husband finds so compelling about you. It's all about, I have to know what is so interesting about yes. you. And I have to soil you. Yes. In this depraved manner. Well, it's, it's not about, I really want somebody to lick my pussy. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, and, like, and at first she thinks, like, when she convinces, not convinces, but, like, whatever, signs Zoot up to assault Sarah, she's got it in her head. The thing that is most interesting about Sarah to Derek is her innocence. Mm -hmm. And now they are married. And so she knows that Sarah is not innocent anymore because mm -hmm. he has taken her. And so taken now her. her in her mind, she's like, what is it? What is what it? I don't understand. About you? We don't either. But, um... <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like... And, like I, mean, I, I love Sarah as I a character, actually. I don't dislike her. I like her, her a lot. I, I like her quite a lot. I think she is... She actually has a spine. Yeah. She has a spine, but doesn't fall into the trap of, like, the Arya Stark of it all. I'm a yeah. strong woman, and I'm a soul and fuck. Not yeah. that's a bad thing, but I do think there's some... She's not trying to completely throw away gender roles she's trying to subvert them a little bit yeah she's trying in to, an acceptable way yes yes she has a little bit of agency of 
I want to try to make the best life for myself mm-hmm. while also recognizing that like when Derek is meeting her parents and he's like, oh, isn't there tea in there to be made? Like she still goes and makes the tea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, there, there's still very much this understanding of gender roles and separation between what men do and what women do. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't think, yeah, I definitely don't think Joyce is like, hey girl. Yeah, Joyce isn't <laughs> you know. like, let's, you know what, men suck. Let's have a <laughs> deep emotional relationship. Yeah, exactly. No, like, God, no. No, I mean, well, obviously, because Derek is allowed to be redeemed as somebody who is capable of emotions, but Joyce is not but, capable. But, yeah, if Derek had said something like this at any point to a man, or if Derek had even had a Jamie Fraser moment. Oh. Where he'd been, like, assaulted. Even, yes, like, him as a sex worker. It is very clear. Yeah, that it was women only. Women. He wasn't being hired by the Dukes. Yes. It was the Duchesses. It was the Duchesses. Right. Yep. So that's also a... That's like a very specific. She's like, we're gonna let's be clear about that because it's, his sex worker status was almost about just how desirable he is as a heterosexual man. Yes, it wasn't shaded with needing to question how much control he had. And I think the fact that he like had complete control over the situation, like, oh, they wanted to fuck me, so I made them pay me. Then I blackmailed them. Yeah, he always had I the love upper that hand. Being Derek Kevin's voice. Oi, oi. Oh, no, hold on. If I was actually going to do Derek Craven's voice, I can't do a Cockney man. And for that, I apologize. Okay, so how does Joyce get locked in the attic of an old moldering estate in the country? I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. How do you solve a problem like Joyce? Okay, so Sarah, when Joyce is trying to take her up to the tower, there is a tussle over the gun and Sarah... Once again, shoot somebody. Once again, <laughs> like, noted... Noted murderer. Gunman. <laughs> noted incompetent gun person. In the tussle, like, Joyce gets shot in the shoulder. And it's not fatal. It's just she's able to and get And she's, control. like, whimpering a lot. She's like, Whoa! And Sarah's like, uh, you want me to feel sorry for you, you stupid you bitch? stupid bitch. Like, yeah. Sarah actually does call her a bitch. <laughs> and I, and I think it's the first time Sarah curses the entire yeah. book. Which, look, I don't... If somebody's just been... You can call him a Like, it's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. But... <laughs> So Sarah then, her plan is, I'm going to bring Joyce to her husband, husband, who we understand is Joyce's abuser. Yes. Okay, and rapist. So here we go. What will you do with her, Sarah said. And he says, her her lecherous old husband, who's also very powerful. I will keep her at a remote location in Scotland, Lord Ashby answered Sarah, away from all society. Clearly she presents a danger to all those she associates with. I would isolate her in relative comfort rather than confine her to a lunatic hospital where she might be subjected to cruel treatment and also prove an embarrassment to the family. Perhaps more importantly, prove an embarrassment to the family. No! No! Joyce erupted in an inhuman howl. I won't be sent away. I won't be caged like an animal. Sarah kept her attention on Lord Ashby. I only wonder why you haven't done it before, my lord. Yeesh! (laughs) Fuck. So... By the end, Joyce is literally like, she howls an inhuman howl. I won't be caged like an animal, which we knew she was an animal all along. Literally, Sarah hands her over to her abuser. I mean, he's like, like put your bitch on a leash. Lord yeah. And, and Sarah is colluding with him to imprison Joyce, take away all of her autonomy, and is literally like, yeah, why didn't you do it sooner? Why didn't you control yeah. your beast sooner? Yeah. 
it is honestly breathtaking. It's it's also super breathtaking because I was very surprised that it was Sarah who was like doing the dirty work with Lord Ashby and not because Derek would have just killed Joyce. Uh, yes. And Sarah, like, and I think explicitly is like, I don't want him to go to jail for killing Joyce. <laughs> like, okay, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I was, like, very surprised. They literally, it, Joyce has no voice. Oh, no. Now that she has been chained and controlled, Joyce doesn't get a voice. She is just once more being sent to, and even, whatever, it's an abusive situation all the way down. Yeah, he literally is, like, away from society. He's like, literally going to isolate a danger her. to society. Yeah, she's not going to get any help. No. Like, I'm not that there's, like, therapy in these days. Yeah. And I'm not saying, like, a quote-unquote lunatic asylum would have been positive for her. But I'm just saying, this is not an empathetic way to help Joyce. No. Nobody's interested in helping Joyce. She deserves to be punished. From in the, this text. You know what I mean? yeah, yeah, in the 100%. text. Yeah. She, she's lucky she didn't get killed. Let's, she deserves the suffering. She deserves to live and suffer and be punished yeah. for her actions for eternity. Forever. There's no, let me get her some help and like, maybe after a few years, she'll... Yeah, we get, let's put her on parole. It's literally, can you just imagine? She's a young woman. She's a young woman. And there's, there is no redemption arc where we get another book where Joyce deals with her trauma because of the love of, of, of good, the stable hand uh, yeah. at this estate oh, who, would be fantastic. or whatever where she's like yeah I, I was born in a gutter and like sold to like Exa yeah time. exactly and she doesn't get that chance no she's not worthy of it she's just been discarded and thrown away because like she has her whole life yeah yep yep and until one day lord ashby's son is in the estate with joyce locked in the attic and brings his new wife there and doesn't say that Joyce is there locked in the attic. And then Joyce <laughs> is haunting kind of is like, haunting the house. Joyce a is like, bit. please pay attention to me. <laughs> She's in the walls. Because yeah. just like this is so cruel. It is devastating. Yeah, it's, it's very devastating. And, and, our and then they don't ever think about it again. No, they live happily ever after. Yeah. And Sarah fulfills her role as wife and mother by producing a child yeah. who Derek loves and then Derek licks her tits and sucks her breast milk. Yeah. In the epilogue. He does. He does. The lustily maternal sight sent a wave of aching excitement through him. This is the most saying the quiet part out loud about integrating the maternal with the sexual yeah. I have ever read. Yeah. Lustily <laughs> maternal. Yeah. <laughs> Like, 100% not kink-shaming, and 100%, like, I, I, I breastfed a child, and yeah. this is just, like, a fact of, like, you if you... Um, I think it's hot, so I'm it, not... Yeah, I'm definitely not kink-shaming. 100%, it, it can be hot, but, like, in this particular text, yeah. when there is such a dichotomy between sex and mothers, this is just saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah, what is this? He's ultimately overcome... The need the, to the, separate those roles. Yeah, the his Madonna whore... And, and the fact that he never had a mother and then basically Sarah just becomes, becomes his, his mother. Yeah. Like he, he's the mother never fed from a breast yeah. until now. He sucked on the teat of a gin bottle. He, he was a mother's the milk. A By the way, sorry, the reason we keep saying this is because <laughs> at one point he's like just completely wasted on gin and his factotum is like, oh, I think you've had enough gin and Derek's like, it's mother's milk to me. <laughs> Which he's is 
it's like such okay. a dramatic it's little so dramatic. like it's dude come on come Greenwood on brother corners is three miles up the road yeah just go and get her stop doing he's like throwing half drunk bottles of gin at the wall he walls, basically destroys like setting drapes on fire room <laughs> like, yeah yep this is your king this, this is, is your king this is your king look at your king this is your king Derek's favorite this sound like king. Oh, boy. All right. Did we crack this nut wide open? Yeah. I think we cracked the nut open, but I think that what we have found inside of the shell is... Like, more nuts. More, yeah. A <laughs> lot more nuts with a lot more shells. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's nuts to crack all the way down. <laughs> nuts to crack all the way down. It's a Russian nesting doll of nuts to crack open. A little babushka nut. Yeah. I just... Oh, boy. I mean, I kind of want to come back to... The richness of this text. Yeah. Where we purposefully were like, let's choose something that obviously we definitely want to talk about. And we talked a little bit about sex work, but like we could have had a much longer conversation about sex work. Yeah. We could have talked about the foil of Perry Kingswood a lot more. Mm-hmm. What were the other things we thought we might want to discuss? We, we did talk about this briefly, but we could have discussed, I think at length, like Sarah having a career oh, like sure, what yeah. it means for her to have mm-hmm. a career and like perry and Derek's differing opinions mm-hmm. on what that means and how that turns out because that's a big part of it like at the end she's like giving lectures and yeah and it's never the social justice aspect yeah yeah 100 percent. because because Derek also is i was a chimney boy and trying to pass legislation yeah. to protect the chimney boys i think there's also a conversation to be had like this meta conversation around like fiction where everybody believes that matilda is real real. and i think that is a meta conversation around romance novels oh sure and does fiction impact us and if fiction feels as real to us as reality it becomes kind of this useless distinction to be like it's fiction Fiction. it's like but it's real to me that's a nut that joyce is real that's the thing that you are very interested it is yeah um you know what i mean it's just yeah it's i think it's always a question that you yourself find yourself coming back to Mm -hmm. the idea of the people being like what's fiction we can tell the difference between and And i'm like can we i think yeah our brains can yeah it's becoming increasingly (laughs) clear that fiction very much they both inform each other to the point that they're indistinguishable well and that's actually i think maybe a great point to bring up as a conclusion where the problems with this text are not of Lisa Kleypas's imagination. Oh, no. These are the problems of the society that we live in. Yeah. And they're manifesting in very and interesting what's ways. what's interesting is both within the time period this book is set in, mm-hmm. within the time period Kleypas is writing it in, and within right. the time period we're talking about it in, which it, yeah. is some hundred plus years mm-hmm. apart. I mean, you know, from the, the start. Yeah. No, it's like 200. timeless, but... Yeah, right. Look, there could be a whole other conversation around what is actually historically accurate in 1820, what is actually historically accurate in 1994, and we probably have a a sort of good idea of what's going on now. But I think that even then, we are relying on our cultural beliefs of how things were 200 years ago Mm -hmm. and how different they were, and those are not accurate no you know 100% informed by things I've read in romance novels yeah at the very least but yeah and we have a tendency to flatten very much flatten the issue and one example of this is selling your daughter off at 15 to marriage to an old 
like rich guy, I think that we're like, oh wow, they were so backwards that it they would do that. that then. I don't think that was very common. No, it wasn't that common. Definitely different cultural understandings of the age of maturity. Yes. But I think that there is a fairly cross-cultural idea that you don't fuck kids yes that's exactly it and that and like that, how you define kid is a little bit different how but... you define kid is definitely a little bit different but yeah it was not commonplace mm-hmm. for 15 year old girls to be getting married in regency england yeah it, and especially not if they were not blue blood like upper class non-aristocracy yeah. but like seriously i truly think that would be considered a bit weird and deviant Yes. Like, to be like, wait, I'm sorry. Especially to some old man. So would we feel differently about it if she was 15 and he was 20 or 18? I think Joyce would have felt different about it, but... If he had been quote-unquote desirable. If he had been quote-unquote desirable, yeah, it probably would have been a little different. But, yeah, I think 15 was probably, like, at the time universally... A little weird. Weird. Yeah. Like, people probably looked at her father and was like... "Mm." Okay, I'm trying to remember in Pride and Prejudice, is it Lydia who gets married to Wickham? And she's oh. quite young. She might be like 16, yeah. I think. Yeah. But I think everybody's like, ooh, yikes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's a little yikesy. So, Jody, thanks for literally physically being here. Thank you for literally physically having me. Yeah, you're welcome. This was a pleasure. When we were doing a little sound check here, we purposefully yelled into the microphone a little bit, which yeah. I think was important because we got heated. This is heated, like Beyonce said. Yeah, but isn't it super fun to read a book that, like, these fictional characters inspire such passionate emotions? Yeah, it does. It 100%. I told you, I've been in a big reading slump. Yeah. Um, I don't know that Kleypas is, like, opening the book and, like, ending that, but... But you read a book. I read this book start to finish. Yeah. And I was prepared to, if I had DNF'd it, that would have been the conversation that we would have had. Yeah. And we've had conversations where you were like, but I enjoyed this. So the other thing you've been doing since you've been at my house is you finished a book. I did finish a book. Finished writing a book. I finished writing. Yeah, I finished writing a book. Yeah. That book is, it's my first FF romance. FF. FF. Are they bisexual Fs or? One of them is bisexual. Okay. The other one is a lesbian. I see. Sapphic. Yeah. Yeah. So you finished that book just in time for, to get into the mood to promo your second yes, tra- my trad pub book that's coming out soon. <laughs> my second trad pub book that is coming out is called Play to Win. It's out July 11th, 2023. That's incredibly soon. Mm-hmm. You can pre-order it now wherever you buy books. But that book, it's a marriage in trouble slash long lost childhood loves. There's a lot of groveling. Mm. A lot of learning to come together. (laughs) A lottery winning. Yeah, the premise is that the female main character wins the lottery and has her entire life completely upended by it and then must reconnect with her long-lost husband so that he doesn't steal her shit. Yeah. But he doesn't want to steal her shit. Of course not. He just wants to steal her heart. Aw. Yeah. Yeah. So that's exciting news, and I hope everybody runs out immediately to pre-order Play to Win. Play to Win. Buy Bet on It, your first book in that series. Always buy Bet on It. Mm -hmm. Bet on It is also available wherever you get books. Mingo Bay Sex Pact. It's what the streets are talking about. I thought you said Mango Bay (laughs) Sex Pact. Yes, it's a Mango Bay Sex (laughs) Pact. Sex 
backed by mangoes. They have sex on a crate and mango. They don't. That would have been sex really cute. Packed. Bingo packed. Based. based. Sex packed. Yes. Yes. Um, Judy, as always, pleasure to have you here in bed. And I love you. I love you too. Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app or tell a friend. Check out shelflovepodcast.com for transcripts and other resources. If you want regular written updates from Shelf Love, you can increasingly find me over at Substack. Read occasional updates and short essays about romance at shelflovepodcast.substack.com. Thank you to Shelf Love's $20 a month Patreon supporters, Gail, Copperdog Books, and Frederick Smith. Have a great day. Bye.